Hey everybody, my name is Tyler McKay, and we want to thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon audio of Sojourn Church. Sojourn is a church that is committed to the gospel and the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. We hope that this collection of sermons both inspires you and challenges you to live a life of intentionality where you seek to make disciples. If you'd like to learn more about our church family, you can go online and check out our website at sojournpdx.org. One quick word of encouragement before we begin this episode's sermon. We at Sojourn absolutely love it that you're tuning in to what God's teaching us here, but more than anything else, we want this podcast to be supplementary to an already growing devotion to your own church body and nothing else. This collection and others like it are great in making God's word to us more available and understandable, but it can never be a healthy substitute for real participation in the body of Christ. Enjoy this sermon. your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight. I want to add my welcome, say thank you. Uh, Yeah, like Matt said, my name is Joseph. Um, And I just want to, before I get into what I feel like the Lord has for us tonight, I just want to say how encouraging this is. Uh, Church planting, being a follower of Jesus, especially in a city like Portland, as you know, is not easy. Uh, It is not easy to learn what it means to live in the kingdom of God. Uh, Matt and Andrea, it's not easy to church plant. Uh, If you have any experience in local church ministry, you know how hard and difficult it is to do something like this. Uh, And so I just want to publicly say thank you to both of you for planting, for being faithful to the Lord's call, uh, to pressing through some of the fears and some of the things that would cause people to fall away and to give up. Uh, So I love both of you. I'm thankful for what you feel the Lord is calling you to. Uh, And I just want to publicly bless you. Thank you for your ministry to me personally, to my family, and to this city. Um, It would be easy to throw in the towel. but I want to encourage you to keep pressing on, keep, keep going. Um, and I love you, Sojourn. Uh, as a community, as a family, uh, like I said, it's not easy to follow Jesus in a city like Portland, and you're doing it. You're trying, you're being faithful, you're showing up, uh, and that's half the battle. So love you. Uh, very thankful and honored to be with you tonight. But I need to begin tonight in probably the exact opposite way that you would expect, not with a st- a photo of my family, uh, not with some funny or, you know, catchy, catching story to make you like me or approve of me in these first two minutes, uh, but I want to actually begin this morning with confession. So about five months ago, uh, I woke up and I headed to a meeting with some of the other pastors at the church that I was serving at. Uh, At the time, my wife, Nicole, and I were leading uh, the youth at a church in Vancouver, British Columbia, and the youth ministry itself was absolutely thriving. Uh, I was leading that along with my wife and some other youth leaders, and I've never been in a more unexplainable unbelievable move of God in the midst of his people before in my whole life. Uh, It was amazing to be a part of. But five months ago, I walked into a meeting, I sat down, and I was fired on the spot. No explanation, no reason, Uh, there was no scandal, there was no immorality, Uh, there was no theft of church funds, just fired. 
And within 15 minutes, I was asked to clean out my office. I was ushered out of the building and was told that me and my family were prohibited from attending any future gatherings or events at the church. So I had no chance to say goodbye to the staff or to the youth team that I was serving on. Had no final youth night, no announcement from the stage, nothing. And I could not believe what was happening. And to make matters worse, since I was an American living in Canada on a work visa, this decision meant that I would have to leave the country. And panic set in. I had no job lined up. Uh, I had no source of income. Uh, I went to school for Bible, for theology, pastoral ministry, and that seemed to be taken away from me. So I was like, what do I do now? I had no answers. I had nothing to say to my wife or to my two kids. It seemed as though everything we had was taken from us in a matter of minutes. Our job, our ministry, friends, status, our reputation, our salary, security, our apartment, our free health care, what up Canada, our work visa, and at least at this stage, even our dreams and desires seem to be taken from us. So now we live here and up on uh, Northeast 56th, and I work at Casper, which is a mattress company. I don't know if you've seen the ads, but if you need a new mattress, I got you on that employee discount. And every day I wake up and my job is literally to help people find rest. They come in, they have some need, either you know they're moving or they want to improve their sleep in some way, and so they come looking for a new mattress, new bedding, new pillows to help them find rest. But ever since I was fired, I've been haunted by this one nagging question, and the question is this, who am I? I'm not a pastor anymore. I don't have this automatic, respectable status with the people that I talk to. I don't preach sermons often. I don't lead anything. I'm not known or influential. I don't have this incredible success story. I have the complete opposite. In almost every space that I exist right now outside of my home, I'm completely anonymous. Nobody knows who I am. Nobody knows what I do. Nobody knows what I bring to the table. And these last few months of my life have been marked by discouragement, loneliness, frustration, and tons of doubt. Now, I could go on and on about the current season of my life that seems to disqualify me from being up here and sharing with you, Uh, but before Matt or anyone else thinks I'm having a very public nervous breakdown, uh, let me assure you I'm not. That was like back in April, so we're we're already past that. But I simply want to frame our teaching tonight with what I'm actually going through, who I am before you. I don't come tonight with this uh, amazing status. I don't come tonight with the perfect teaching or the perfect experience. Uh, I come to you someone who is broken, who has been working through all of this myself, and just want to vulnerably put it before you, uh, because my guess is, even though you may have not gotten fired five months ago, uh, you're struggling with some of the very same things that I am. So with that being said, let's read Matthew chapter 3. We're going to read verses 13 to 17. So Matthew chapter 3. Uh, Look with me at verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And so when Jesus tells you to do something, 
Then John consented. Verse 16, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Now for years, scholars have debated and argued when Jesus began to live into his true identity as God in flesh on earth. Of course, he had always been with the Father and with the Spirit. We know that theologically. But when did that identity begin to play out in his earthly life? Some say immediately when he was born in the manger, that was the moment. Others, when he was 12 in the temple, if you remember that story, uh, Jesus was in the temple teaching and learning. But most argue that the clearest indication we have is this story right here in Matthew chapter 3. This is the first week account we have in the Gospels of Jesus receiving his true identity from the Father, of his name being spoke over him. Here we see who Jesus was and what Jesus was called to do. Now, there are a few defining moments in the life and ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, but this is by far the one of the most important. It is from this moment that Jesus begins his public earthly ministry. And if you know the story, after his baptism, the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he's tested by Satan, and he passes this test in the wilderness that we as humanity failed in the garden and Jesus initiates his revolution of ushering in the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus did flowed from this event, from what the Father said about him. Put another way, Jesus got his identity from heaven and not from earth. Jesus knew the Father looked at him, and the refrain the Father continued to sing over him in his life was, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So tonight I want to make the case that rest that we've already talked about is only possible when we get our identity from heaven and not from earth. Rest is only possible when we get our identity from heaven and not from earth. But if we're honest, uh, that is way easier said than done. So for all of us, answering this question of who am I is something that we chase constantly, even if we may not necessarily realize we're doing it. Every day, each of us live out of narratives that flow from our family of origin or from social media or friends or the city that we live in or the late modern Western cultural moment we find ourselves in. But this quest and this search for identity is really nothing new. In Genesis 11, we read about humanity's quest for identity. Look at this story with me. This is from Genesis 11. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Now, the people of Babel wanted to, quote, make a name for themselves. 
They were not satisfied with the name and the identity that they had been given from the Father, but instead wanted something that was a little bit closer to earth. See, when God created humanity in Genesis 1 and 2, he made them in his image. And humanity was made to reflect God's goodness and creativity and love and justice to the whole world. He called them to live into this identity and create a space where heaven and earth could dwell together in one place, this garden of Eden. Humanity was called to take this garden and create an environment where everyone flourished in love and peace and justice reigned and we existed in perfect relationship with God, with others, and even with ourselves. But as some of you may know, this identity was shattered as we decided to do the same thing and make a name for ourselves. We weren't satisfied with the identity that God had given us, but rather we wanted something closer to earth. And we wanted to determine right and wrong for ourselves. And we, as humanity, unleashed this chaos and evil and brokenness into God's good world. And we've been searching for our garden identity ever since. So my question for you to consider tonight is this. How do you make a name for yourself? Put another way, what is your identity? So mental exercise, fill in this blank. I am what? What would you say? How would you fill in that blank for your life? Maybe you would say, I am my past. Maybe you would say, I am the number of followers I have on social media. Or I am my accomplishments. Or I am my divorce. Or I am my career. I am my marriage or my not marriage. I am what? See, everyone attempts to make a name for themselves in one way or another. We all attempt to fill in that blank of I am something. Some do it through performance. I am what I do. This is those of you who emphasize in your life your accomplishments, what you've done with your life, the university that you went to, or the grades that you get, or the success that you have in athletics, or academics, or in the office, or how you parent, or the people that you manage, the life you live. I am what I do. That is the question at the park, at the Christmas party, or at the coffee shop, right? You're meeting somebody for the first time, you share your name. What's the first thing somebody always asks you? Oh, what do you do? What do you do, right? So many of us build the foundation of our identity on what we do, what we can accomplish, what we can excel in. In 2014, director Damien Chazelle released his Oscar-nominated film, Whiplash. And if you remember, if you've ever seen this movie, uh, this movie tells the story of this promising young drummer named Andrew who enrolls in this conservatory in order to become a famous jazz drummer. That was his dream. That was his uh, desire. That's what he wanted to do. And so he goes to this conservatory, he gets mentally, verbally, and physically abused by this insane instructor, as you can see, uh, on his path to becoming a world-class jazz drummer. And there's this one scene in the movie where Andrew is breaking up with his girlfriend. 
So he meets this girl at the movie theater, and they start dating, and they go on this date, and he realizes this girl is actually going to prohibit him from becoming the drummer that he wants to be. So he goes through this big explanation of, I'm going to start to commit more and more time to drumming, and you're going to want me to hang out with you, and I'm not going to be able to hang out with you because I'm going to want to drum, and then you're going to resent me for that, and I don't want you to resent me for that, so I'm just going to break it off clean right now. And she responds with, well, aren't you already a great drummer? Like, you made this ensemble, you're a great drummer. Am I going to limit you from becoming a great drummer? And he says, he responds to her in that moment and says, I don't just want to be great, I want to be one of the greats. So he breaks up with her and he goes through this traumatic journey on becoming one of the greats. He wants to be known, he wants to be recognized, he wants to be someone who walks in the room and people automatically respect him as one of the greats. And this theme throughout this movie is getting right at the heart of something we all long for. We all want to be great, or at least be thought of as great. We all have this inner desire to do, to achieve something that matters, and our identity is in our performance. But for others of us, maybe our identity is wrapped up in our possessions. I am what I have. I am the apartment that I live in or the clothes that I wear or the iPhone model that I have. I am what I possess. From the rise of materialism to Black Friday in Amazon Prime, we are addicted to possessions in our culture. Everybody wants more. Everybody wants better. Everybody wants sexier and cooler. And we are all addicted to what we have. And we see ourselves as what we have. From haircuts and shoes to jeans that are ripped in just the right way, the word cool has become the mantra for so many of our lives. And our identity is in our possessions. But for others, thirdly, we get an identity from our past. I am what has happened to me. Now, this can be positive or negative. You could get an identity from the family that you grew up in. Maybe you grew up in a great family with parents who are still together. You grew up as a very moral person. You went to church. You made good decisions. You went to a good high school, whatever. But for others of us, our past is marked by pain. It's marked by abuse. It's marked by regret. We see ourselves as the guy who got fired from a church or the woman who went through a messy divorce. We are the abuse that we've gone through. We are our father wound. We are our failure. And we see ourselves as unlovable, broken, and even dirty. So whether positive or negative, oftentimes we get an identity from our past. And lastly, some get their identity and seek to make a name through themselves through popularity. I am who you think I am, right? This is the looking glass theory coined by American sociologist Charles Cooley. Essentially, our identity stems from what other people think about us, right? We all want to be thought of as cool and well-read and have a good sense of fashion and be successful and accomplished and be noticed by him or by her or be married and have kids, get comments on Instagram, drive a decent car, make a decent salary, have a cool apartment, fill in the blank. 
right? When you walk into a coffee shop or a college class or your lunchroom or a job interview or the office at work, what's the first thing that typically comes to your mind, right? You're like sizing the room up. You're seeing who's there, comparing yourself to other people in the room. Who's cool? Who's beautiful? Who's talented? Who can I network with? Who can I talk to? Am I underdressed or am I overdressed? What does this barista or teacher or other mom think of me? What's appropriate behavior in this setting? How should I act? Can I be myself? Do I have to put on a front? Do I have to make this person like me? Do I have to fake it until I make it? How am I responding in this room? What do I have to do to fit in? How can I present myself to these people that are around me? And all of this stems from what other people think about us. And the major risk in any of these is that they can all be lost in an instant. Right? The job, the career, the money, the possessions, relationship, popularity can all be gone like that. That's exactly what I'm walking through right now. Everything I had in my identity was taken from me in 15 minutes. Came out of nowhere, and it was all gone. But even if you don't have a situation like that where everything is taken from you, you will eventually wear yourself out searching and searching and searching for an identity. And the search is exhausting, right? It's exhausting to chase meaning and purpose in identity in our lives. One of my heroes, Pete Scazzaro, author of the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, writes this. The vast majority of us go to our graves without knowing who we are. We unconsciously live someone else's life or at least someone else's expectations for us. And this does violence to ourselves, our relationship with God, and ultimately others. So tonight, are you doing violence to yourself? your relationship with God and others by trying to make a name for yourself. I just think of all those times in the Gospels where we read about Jesus being relaxed all the time, right? Like Jesus in the Bible is never stressed out. He's never like, oh man, what am I going to do? Like we got to go. We have all these people, right? Jesus is like sleeping in a boat that's like on this, these huge waters. He's chilling with Zacchaeus. He's got like 10,000 people to feed and he's like, all right, who's got a Lunchable? Like I need some bread. I need a couple fish. Like we'll make this happen. No big deal, right? Was this because Jesus was some master of time management? Was it because he tried really hard not to be anxious and he was just really good at it? Did he have some special Enneagram number that made him more relaxed than other people? No, Jesus just knew who he was. He knew what he was called to do. He got his identity from heaven. He knew what the Father said about him. And the same goes for his followers. Because rest is only possible when we get our identity from heaven and not from earth. Now, you might be here thinking, yeah, dude, that sounds awesome, like good for Jesus, but I've never had that moment before in my life. I've never like been in the bathtub and like a dove flies in the room and then Alexa just pops on and is like, this is my son whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased, right? Like we've never had that like magical moment. 
But scripture actually tells us something very different. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Which means that for those of us who have responded to the good news of the kingdom of God and placed our trust in Jesus, everything that is true about Jesus is true about us. His righteousness, his power, his resurrection. We actually, scripture said, have the mind of Christ. The very same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside each of us, working and moving and speaking and encouraging and bringing life to everyone around us. So everything that is true about Jesus is true about us. So the question becomes, okay, what was true about Jesus and what's true about us? Well, I'm glad you asked because in Jesus, you can say the following with me. You can say and believe, I am faithful. I have been justified. I am Christ's friend. I belong to God. I am a member of Christ's body. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I am a citizen of heaven. I am hidden with Christ on high. I have been given a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. I am blessed with every spiritual blessing. I am chosen before the creation of the world. I can be humble, gentle, patient, and lovingly tolerant of others. I am holy and blameless. I am adopted as his child. I have redemption. I am forgiven. I have purpose. I am God's co-worker. I'm a minister of reconciliation. I'm alive with Christ. I've been raised up with Christ. I am seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. I have been shown the incomparable riches of God's grace. I am God's workmanship. I have brought, been brought near to God through Christ. I have peace. I have access to the Father. I'm a member of God's household. I am secure. I'm a holy temple. I'm a dwelling for the Holy Spirit. I can share in the promise of Jesus. God's power works through me. I can mature spiritually. I can have a new attitude and a new lifestyle. I can be kind and compassionate to others. Okay, we get it, but I'm only halfway done. I have been called. I have God's power. I can stand firm in the day of evil. I am dead to sin. I am not alone. I possess the mind of Christ. I am victorious. My heart and mind is protected by God's peace. I am chosen and dearly loved. I am blameless. I am set free. I am overcoming. I'm persevering. I'm protected and born again. I am a new creation. I am delivered. Lindsay doing slides in the back. I am sorry. But I am redeemed from the curse of the law. I am qualified to share in his inheritance. I have hope. I am included. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am a saint. I am salt and light in the earth. I have been chosen by God to bear good fruit. I'm a personal witness to Jesus. I can forgive others. I can exhibit goodness, righteousness, and truth. I can understand what God's will is. I know who I am in every situation, in every relationship, at every stage of my life, because regardless of what comes my way, this is who heaven says I am. Sojourn, this is who you are. So as soon as Jesus or Matt or Marcos or Amanda or Raul or Julia or Camden or whatever your name is was baptized, they went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and they saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on them. And a voice from heaven said, this You are my son. You are my daughter whom I love. With him, with her, I am well pleased. So you can rest this evening. You can stop the chase. Your identity, your worth, 
Your value in this world has absolutely nothing to do with your bank account, has nothing to do with your relational status or your socioeconomic standing, has nothing to do with your past mistakes or the abuse that you've gone through or the clothes that you wear or the kids or relationship that you do or do not have. And I believe the Father's word for some of us in the room tonight is to actually believe those things for the first time. That regardless of what you bring to the table, the Father is consistently singing this refrain over your life. I'm pleased with you. You're enough. You don't have to work for my love. I've already accepted you. Because rest is only possible when we get our identity from heaven and not from earth. So this is the lesson I'm learning in my life right now. As I said, so much of my identity I feel like has been taken from me. And I wake up every day, I drive 45 minutes to a mall, I clock in, I walk on the floor in a sleep shirt and a Casper hat on, and every day somebody comes in and I'm like, hi, welcome to Casper. Tell me a little bit about what you're sleeping on. Are you looking to get a new mattress or sheets or pillows? And if I'm not careful, I will become so discouraged that that's who I am, that I'm my failure, I'm the guy who got fired, I don't get to do anything I want to do anymore, I just have to sell mattresses. Rather than see myself as a pastor of Casper Washington Square, which is how I see myself. I work with six girls and me, that's our team, and I see myself as their pastor. So every day I clock in and I remember, okay, who am I? What's been done? What do these six girls need from the Father? What's true about them? And so it's actually become this mantra at Casper that every time I clock out, I come and I'm like, all right, ladies, here's the deal. You are not defined by your accomplishments. You're not defined by what's happened to you. You are a successful, beautiful, powerful, accomplished woman and your worth and value doesn't have anything to do with what you've gone through or what our regional manager says about you or whether or not you meet your sales goal. You have infinite worth, value, purpose, and meaning just because you are made in the image of God. And they're always like, okay. <laughs> and they, who talks like that? Who lives like that? Our city sure doesn't live like that. And people are desperate and longing for this kind of acceptance. And it's only found when we get our identity from heaven and not from earth. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. So I want to close tonight by creating space for us to respond and to hear from the Spirit. So we're going to sing together. We're going to come to the table where we remember what Jesus has done for us. We're going to take the bread and the wine or the juice. We're going to remember who we are and what's been done for us. But before we get to that, I want to just create space and ask Holy Spirit to come and meet us. So if you're comfortable, just right where you're sitting, uh, I'd, I'd invite you to just bow your heads. Um, if you're comfortable with this, um, you're more than welcome to open your hands just as a sign of a posture of receiving from God, saying, God, I'm open to you. I'm available. I'm ready to hear from you for what you have for me. So let's just take a few minutes and listen. So Holy Spirit...
Thanks for listening to our sermons podcast. We hope it was helpful for you as you continue on the mission of Jesus and the journey of faith. If you sense God doing something in you and would like to talk with one of us about it, or if you'd just like to learn more about what God is doing in our lives, please reach out to us over social media or email, or check out our website at sojournpdx.org. We look forward to hearing from you soon.